Um, please take your seats. Now, why don't you turn uh, back to the book of Jude as we look at it together. But before we do, please let me pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. These truths unchanged from the dawn of time that you've passed down to us. And Lord, as we open it now to look at the book of Jude, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, would you help us to listen with humility? Lord, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted? Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Would you help me as I preach? Lord, I ask for your help. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you remember the show Cowboy Builders that used to be on Channel 5. In Cowboy Builders, Dom Littlewood and Melinda Messenger, they meet families who have fallen victim to dodgy builders. Usually, these families wanted to build an extension or put in a new bathroom or a new kitchen, and so they put their trust in a builder. They ask him to come, come into their home and do some work. But they soon, they soon find out that the builder only has his own interests at heart. Every episode, we see the builders come in and do an awful job. The builder talked a good game, but they didn't deliver what they promised at all. Sometimes they take the family's money and don't even do the job they were supposed to do. Sometimes they do the job and it looks really good and impressive on the surface, but actually they've been cutting corners. They haven't done the job properly and the family have to tear it up and start from scratch. Sometimes these unsuspecting families even have their homes destroyed because these builders have been doing horrendous damage and not laying down the proper foundations. But at the start of each episode, Dom Littlewood says, we're here to stand up to them. Cowboy builders, your world is about to come crumbling down. Dom and Melinda, they want to help these people who have had their lives ruined by these cowboy builders. They chase down these builders and they tell the authorities where they've been operating so that the victims can get justice. And they make sure that these cowboy builders are exposed to the whole country. They don't want anyone else to be sucked in by these builders who talk a good game and promise much only to leave the people in ruin. And usually by the end of the episode, the family we've been watching are a lot happier. With Dom and Melinda's help, they're able to rebuild and get things back on track. Now, why am I telling you about Cowboy Builders, apart from the fact it's a great show? Well, Jude has written this letter because the Church of Christ is in serious danger of Cowboy Builders. Unsuspecting church families are in danger of welcoming in spiritual cowboy builders. False teachers who look good, sound impressive, promise to build up the church in their faith, but in reality, they fail to deliver and they have the potential to destroy the church. Jude wants to expose these false teachers for every Christian in every country and in every age. And just like Dom, he says it's time to stand up to them. Jude's call to everyone who reads this letter is contend for the faith. 
In verse 3, Jude says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. Now, the Greek word for contend is where we get our, our word agonize from. And it means to struggle or fight with intense effort. It's standing up for what is right, doing what is right, even when it hurts, even when it takes everything we've got. That's the message that the believers Judah's writing to need to hear as they deal with the threat of these cowboy builders. And it's what we need to hear as well. Sadly, I don't think I need to convince you of that. Jude's call to contend for the faith is incredibly relevant and urgent for the church at large today. So many people are departing from scripture and turning to culture to be their guide. Churches that were once great are no longer proclaiming that Christ is the only way of salvation. Preachers have stopped talking about hell and God's judgment on sin, and instead they preach a watery and completely unbiblical, come as you are, stay as you are message. Some denominations are ordaining practicing homosexuals to ministry and advocating for same-sex marriage. Others are turning a blind eye to abortion or ignoring what the Bible says about gender. We may be blessed at Charlotte Chapel that we don't have false teachers in our pulpit or in our small groups, but there's no place for complacency. We can't presume it will always be that way. Every generation has a responsibility to hold firmly to the truth of God's word. Every Christian needs to be able to identify false teaching, especially when we live in an age where false teaching has never been more readily available. We don't just have to worry about hearing it from the pulpit or in a Bible study. Best-selling books have been written by false teachers. We drive to work listening to songs on Spotify written in churches that are led by false teachers. We scroll past videos on Facebook and YouTube that could easily drag an unsuspecting Christian down a rabbit hole of false teaching. This book is as relevant to us today as it was to the people in Jude's day. The church needs people today who are going to contend for the faith. Now, to raise up people who are going to contend for the faith, Jude is going to answer three big questions for us. And these three big questions are going to help us to navigate our way through the book over the next couple of Sunday evenings. And those three questions are what, why, and how. What is the faith that we need to contend for? Why do we need to contend for the faith? And then next week, we're going to spend some time looking at how do we contend for the faith? Okay, first of all, let's, let's look at what. What is the faith we need to contend for? What is the faith we need to contend for? Well, the first thing to notice is that, that this faith we are to contend for has been once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Jude is talking about Scripture. He's writing this letter at a time when the Christian faith was already in existence as an established body of saving truths. And we know that because in verse 17 he says, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Jude sees everything that was written down by Christ's apostles as the authoritative word of God. And the apostles themselves back that up. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture 
is God-breathed. And by saying it has been entrusted once for all, Jude is saying that the inspired word of God that we have in Scripture, written down by the apostles and the prophets, is not up for debate. It is God's revelation of himself, and we are not free to change it. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't progress. We can't add to it or subtract from it. Now, in our country, we are used to the laws we live by changing, aren't we? Legislation and laws change all the time according to government policy. And these changes are driven by changes in what society thinks and believes is right. Politicians are desperate to stay relevant and pander to the mood of the people or they'll lose power, so they change the law. God's word is not like that, okay? God's word is objective truth that cannot be changed. It doesn't change if society stops liking it or the mood of the people changes. We have been entrusted with it as it is, and because it is God's word, it is the final authority over our lives. So when Jude tells us to contend for the faith, he's telling us never to lose sight of the fact that Scripture is God's word. We are to make sure we don't distort or water down the gospel. We're to make sure that we conduct our lives in line with God's words, that we see ourselves as God's word tells us to. Jude is telling us not to lose sight of the fact that as Christians, we live under God's authority and the commands that he has communicated to us in Scripture. And Judas already modeled that to us at the start of his letter. Look with me to verse 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Jude calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And because we know James was the half-brother of Jesus, we know Jude was also the half-brother of Jesus. But Jude doesn't see his relationship with Jesus as brother to brother. He sees his relationship with Jesus as servant to master. That's why he calls Jesus our sovereign, or the ESV says our master in verse 4. Now, I am one of four brothers, okay, and I don't know about your family, but if you were to float the idea that one of us was the master and the other three were servants, that would not go down very well at all. Um, But Jude knows his brother is no ordinary brother. Jude's brother is the king of kings. Jude knows he's not his own anymore. Just like all those who hear God's word and put their trust in Christ, he knows that following Christ means being under the authority of the king. He knows he belongs to Jesus. Calling himself Christ's servant wasn't something he did off the cuff. He wants to model right from the off how mature and faithful Christians see themselves. Mature Christians know that because they've been called, loved in God the Father, and they're being kept for Jesus Christ, that they belong to God. They are servants of King Jesus. There's no freelance option where we can be saved but continue to live our lives in our own terms. Because when it comes to our salvation... We didn't bring anything to the table. We were bought with a price. God went to great lengths to rescue us, to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's no part of Jude's description of the believers in verse 1 that we can say was down to us, is there? God is the one who called us. He chose us, pursued us, 
and opened our hearts to respond to his word. God has loved us with his special, permanent, and unconditional love. God is the one who is keeping us safe in our salvation, making sure that we will be presented before Jesus Christ when he returns. How could we ever say that we are still our own? The magnitude of what God has done for us demands that we offer our lives to him as living sacrifices, that we live our whole lives as an act of worship to him. Judah's modeling and teaching that being a Christian means coming under the lordship and the authority of Christ. It's not possible to come into the kingdom without being under the authority of the king. Now, authority is not always seen as a positive thing in our cultural moment, is it? But look at what those under the authority of the king experience in verse 2. They receive mercy, they enjoy peace, and they know God's love. Being under the authority of King Jesus is the best place to be. It's where human beings find true freedom, true rest, and joy. It's where we are safe from God's judgment. It's where we can live as God intended human beings to live. It's this proper thinking, this understanding that we are those under the authority of God and his word. That's what Jude's calling us to contend for. We're to hold on to this understanding of scripture and this understanding of salvation with all we have and never compromise on it. When it comes to believing these things, we can't be a Cadbury's flake that just crumbles so easily under the slightest pressure. We've got to be like a big jawbreaker, one of those virtually impenetrable gobstoppers that, you know, take a week to eat. Do you know what I'm talking about? These beliefs have got to last. We've got to be strong on them. Okay, so this is what Jude is calling us to contend for. And he calls us to contend for this because this is exactly what these false teachers are getting wrong. Their fundamental problem is that they want the kingdom without the king. They don't want to come under the lordship of Christ and so they treat God's word as if it has no authority over their lives. And that leads us on to the second question that Jude answers as he seeks to raise up contenders for the faith. Why? Why do we need to contend for the faith. Well, Jude gives us two reasons why we need to contend for the faith. First of all, there are false teachers in the church who reject God's authority. That's our first point under this question. There are false teachers in the church who reject God's authority. So after urging us to stand up for the faith, just like Dom Littlewood and Cowboy Builders Jude now begins to expose these false teachers so that no more unsuspecting Christians get sucked in by their teaching. Look with me to verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who prefer the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So the big headline reason why these believers need to contend for the faith is because the faith is under attack from false teachers who have slipped in among them. These teachers are denying that following Jesus means obeying Jesus. They're saying that obeying God's word doesn't matter. And instead, they're teaching that God's grace gives us a license to do whatever we want. They don't want rules, and they don't want anyone telling them what they should or should not do. 
growing in Christlikeness is not on their agenda. They're happy with Jesus being Savior, but they're not so happy with Jesus being Lord. And according to Jude, this problem is nothing to be surprised about. There have always been and always will be these imposters in the church. That's why Jude gives us this history lesson in verses 5 to 7, and he gives us three examples from the past. The first example is in verse 5, which says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Jude is reminding his readers of what happened in Numbers 14. The Israelites had seen God powerfully save them out of Egypt. They'd seen God provide for them in the wilderness. God had told them he was going to lead them into the promised land. But when they got there, some didn't believe what God had said. They saw the large fortified cities in Canaan, and they said, there's no way we're going in. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And because of their rebellion, because they didn't listen to what God had said, they faced God's judgment and they died in the wilderness. Judah is saying that just because someone is in the visible people of God, it doesn't mean they're one of God's people. The evidence that someone is one of God's people is that they obey God's commands and they submit to his authority, even when it looks hard. The second example Jude uses comes in verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now this is most likely a reference to Genesis 6, where angels left their positions of authority, they abandoned their proper dwelling in order to marry humans on earth. These angels had seen God's glory, but they were convinced that God's way wasn't the best way. They thought there was something better. They knew life in God's presence, but because they didn't obey God's authority and went after their own sensual desires, they are being kept in chains for God's judgment. Again, Judas hammering home to us that proximity to Jesus is not the sign that someone is safe from judgment. Just because someone is among us and is teaching, it doesn't mean that they're the real deal. The evidence that someone belongs to God is their continued faithfulness to him. And then there's a third example in verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed in Genesis 19 because out of their immoral sexual desires, the people who lived there rejected God's messengers and they rejected God's truth. Rather than living in the boundaries for marriage that God had established at creation, the men in Sodom followed their own truth and they tried to sleep with the angels that God had sent. So again, Jude is reiterating that immorality and perversion is evidence that someone is living in rebellion against God and they're headed for God's judgment. He's saying that because these false teachers are perverting God's grace into immorality, they have more in common with Sodom and Gomorrah than they do with God's people. So Jude's history lesson warns us that there are imposters in the church who reject God's word and God's authority. And he's warning that following them is going to lead to God's judgment. 
But he isn't finished exposing these false teachers. In verse 8, Jude shows us why these false teachers claim they have a higher authority than God's word. Look with me to verse 8. He says, In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. So these teachers are justifying the rejection of God's authority and their immorality on the basis that they've had dreams and visions. They're claiming that they've received some new revelation that surpasses God's word. They've replaced God's objective truth in scripture with their own subjective imaginations in order to justify their behavior and claim a higher authority than their own. This verse could have been written last week. How many churches today give more weight to subjective words and pictures than they do to God's word? If someone says, God told me, and the next words out of their mouths are not in the Bible, we need to run a mile. God's revelation has already been given to us in its full and final form. God has already spoken. And Jude shows how foolish this is in verse 10. He says, these people slander whatever they don't understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. This rejection of the word of God is rooted in wrong thinking. They claim a higher spiritual understanding, but ironically, Jude says they are thinking like animals. They are claiming freedom, but they're actually slaves to their own basic worldly instincts. They claim to be right, but they couldn't be more wrong. So Jude has given us a fairly detailed expose of a false teacher. It's a pretty clear mugshot of what one of these cowboy builders looks like. So we should be able to spot them a mile off. But as well as a mugshot, he also gives us something else. He gives us a positive example to follow. Maybe you've seen the film Like Mike uh, that came out in 2002. Feel old saying that, that was 19 years ago. Um, in Like Mike, an orphan called Calvin finds Michael Jordan's trainers in a thrift store and he puts them on. And lo and behold, in an instant, Calvin receives all of Michael Jordan's basketball powers and he starts tearing up the NBA. Well, verse 9 is the original Like Mike story, okay? Jude tells us to walk in the shoes of the archangel Michael. Now, Jude takes this story from the Apocrypha, from a book called The Assumption of Moses. So this isn't something that we can find elsewhere in Scripture. Jude is just using an illustration from contemporary Jewish literature, just like preachers do all the time. He's using a story that his readers would be familiar with to make a point. And the story is this in verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even though Michael was an archangel, he knew he was still just an angel. Okay, he was a creature and not the creator. He knew he was a servant. He knew he couldn't just do what he wanted, but that he was under the authority of his Lord. And so in this story where we read about Michael disputing over Moses' body, he doesn't rebuke the devil. He doesn't give himself the authority only God has. He lets God be God. Now, we can't have the archangel Michael's angelic power, unfortunately, but we do have the power to be like Mike. Because as Christians, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey God's words. With his help, we are able to live our lives under his authority. As we read 
Jude's expose, as we see this mugshot of a cowboy builder, God is urging us to contend for the faith with the help of his Holy Spirit living in us, to be strong and clear on the authority of Scripture over our lives. He wants us to make sure we don't get suckered in to believing the rubbish these false teachers are peddling. He wants us to help make sure that the people around us don't get taken in by it either. But I think there's also another way that these verses apply to us. It would be wrong of us to read these verses without recognizing that each one of us has a tendency in our own hearts to preach this false gospel to ourselves. <coughs> Pardon me. Each one of us are tempted every day to presume upon God's grace and pervert the grace of God into immorality. David Helm is a pastor of a church in Chicago, and he says, which one of us, if we were left without the help of God's Holy Spirit for just a second, might not risk all that heaven holds for a moment of earthly satisfaction? None of us can say that we are without sin. This side of heaven, we also have to deal with remaining sin in our lives. So when we find ourselves in those moments where we're tempted the most, when we're tempted to say, does God really care about this? We need to make sure that we keep telling ourselves, yes, he does. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, that he has communicated to us how he wants us to live, and we need to obey him. Now, we need to be careful when we talk about this. We need to be careful because there's a danger that we might fall over the other side of the horse. We don't keep God's commands in order to earn his acceptance. That's called legalism, and it's totally wrong. We keep God's commands because we've already been accepted. We keep his commands because by his grace, he has brought us into his kingdom and he's broken sin's power over us. We don't keep his commands to try and earn our way into his kingdom. There's no way we'd ever be able to. Maybe there's an area of your life where you know you have not been submitting to God's authority. Tonight is a good night to put that right. Let me urge you to repent, ask God for forgiveness. Because if you do, he's faithful to forgive. He's so willing to extend grace and mercy to those who admit their weakness and ask for his help. Okay, so we need to contend for the faith because there are false teachers who reject God's authority. But there's a second reason for why we need to contend for the faith. And we can see in verse 11 to 16 that there are great dangers for those who follow false teachers. There are great dangers for those who follow false te teachers. In these verses, Jude is going to show us some pictures of some really shoddy building work to make sure we don't invite a cowboy builder into our home. He wants to show us the dangers that are in store for the church that bring on board one of these false teachers. But just in case we haven't learnt uh, our lesson from Jude's history class, he gives us some revision in verse 11 with three more examples from the past. He says, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's er error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Just in case we didn't pick up the pattern the first time, what all these men have in common is that they ignored God's word, they rebelled against God's authority, and then they acted as if God didn't care about sin. And just like the unbelieving Israelites, just like the rebellious angels, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, the result of their rebellion was that they faced God's judgment. Things did not end well for them at all. 
God told Cain in Genesis 4, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But Cain didn't believe that God was telling the truth. He didn't think God would judge his sin or reward him for being righteous. So when he killed Abel, he was rejecting what God had said to him. And Cain's punishment was that God made him a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. We hear about Balaam towards the end of the book of Numbers. And he was a teacher who turned against God's people and God's word for money. The king of Moab paid him to tell God's people to have orgies with the foreign woman of Midian. He completely sold out. And in the end, he was killed by the Lord's army in Numbers 31. Korah led a rebellion against Moses in Numbers 16. He hated the fact that the Levite tribe had a place of authority over God's people, and he didn't. So he gathered 250 men and challenged Moses and Aaron. But in the end, Korah's judgment was that the earth opened up and swallowed him and all his followers alive. So Judah's saying that a man who peddles false teaching in the church is going to face the same fate as these three men. And notice that he speaks about these false teachers as if their condemnation has already happened. Jude says they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So certain is their fate that Jude talks about it in the past tense. So Jude hasn't even shown us the dodgy building work yet and we should already be hearing alarm bells. Following the way of these false teachers leads to God's judgment. But what sort of work do these spiritual cowboy builders do? What dangers do these false teachers pose for the church? Well, Jude gives us five pictures of the kind of spiritual building work that these uh, false teachers do among church families. The first is there at the beginning of verse 12. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. In the Greek text, the word blemishes is literally hidden reefs. In other words, Judah is saying that as you eat with these people, as you share communion with them, you don't realize that actually you're heading towards the rocks. If you invite these false teachers in, they will make an absolute shipwreck of your church. Why? Because these are shepherds who feed only themselves. They aren't around for the good of anyone but themselves. They're after something, whether it's money, power, or control. In a summary of this section in verse 16, Jude says they follow their own evil desires. Just like some of the building work that Dom and Melinda uncover in Cowboy Builders, it might look good on the surface, but actually underneath it's disastrous. These men have evil ulterior motives, a hidden selfish agenda that can run a church aground. The second and third picture come in the second half of verse 12. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Now, the idea behind these pictures is similar. These teachers promise much, but deliver little. In Scotland, when we see a cloud without rain, we're pretty happy about that. Um, but when you live in the Middle East, seeing a cloud is great news. It means refreshing, life-sustaining rain is about to fall. But not these clouds. These clouds are entirely disappointing. These teachers appear to bring the refreshing, life-sustaining water of God's words, but they leave their hearers completely 
parched. Teaching in line with culture, following a seeker-sensitive model, seems to promise so much spiritual fruit, but it doesn't deliver. And as for these trees, well, they're autumn trees. Autumn is harvest time, so they should be showing fruit, but they are completely fruitless. They're twice dead, dead on the surface and dead at the roots. All that their teaching produces is death. Those who buy into what they teach eventually discover that it's completely fruitless. Their teaching produces nothing of any lasting value. These cowboy builders talk such a good game. Verse 16 says, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage, but they never deliver what they promise. They only deliver ruin. The next picture comes at the start of verse 13. Look at it with me. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. These false teachers don't live a life that honors God. All they do is foam up their shame. When people get what they believe wrong, sinful behavior is never far behind. Belief and behavior are Siamese twins that can't be separated. And the warning is that those who follow their teaching will only end up foaming up their own shame as well. Listen to these false teachers And it won't be long before your life is washed up on the beach in shame. And finally, in the second half of verse 13, these false teachers are wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Pastors should be leading the church to glory, keeping their eyes and everyone else's eyes on finishing the race well, keeping our eyes on the joy set before us. But these false teachers are just wandering stars. They've no consistency, no reliability, and they're just going nowhere. If you've seen the film Gravity, you'll remember there's a disaster at the start of the film where debris hits the space shuttle while the astronauts are doing a spacewalk. And in this moment of terror, some of the astronauts get separated from the spaceship and they just float off into space, gone. That's what these false teachers are like. They are just aimless. They're heading for darkness. And they're leading their followers in the darkness too. And for that, they are destined for God's condemnation. So there are our five pictures of dodgy building work. If this was a physical building, Dom and Melinda would be completely horrified, wouldn't they? They would say to the unsuspecting family, this building is unsafe. There's no other option but to start a game. They would say that these builders need to be passed on to the authorities so they could be dealt with. Jude is saying the same in spiritual terms. He's saying, look how bad a job these false teachers do at building up the church. What they do is so destructive that there's no option but for them to be handed over to the authorities. And that's exactly what Jude says is going to happen in verse 14 and 15. These spiritual cowboy builders are not going to be allowed to get away with it. The ultimate authority in the universe Jesus Christ is going to deal with all those who reject his authority. And to make this point, Jude does the same thing he did before. He uses some well-known Jewish literature to make his point. And this time he quotes the book of Enoch. Look at verse 14. He says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The warning for these false teachers and all who are taken in by their rubbish 
couldn't be clearer. Christ is coming back to judge all those who have stood against him. All those who have denied the authority of Scripture. All those who have perverted God's grace and committed acts of ungodliness and haven't repented of their sin will face God's judgment. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to hear that there is a terrible fate ahead for those who reject God's authority and God's word. God tells us in the Bible that he's going to bring his wrath upon all those who rebel against him. Jude warns us that there is an eternal fire that awaits those who who have rejected Jesus Christ. Let me urge you to put your trust in Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took the punishment for our rebellion, for our sin and our shame upon, upon himself so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. He rose again from the dead, conquering death once and for all so that we too could have eternal life. He offers forgiveness of sins to all those who trust in his sacrifice and repent of their sin. It's not too late for you to be snatched away from the fire. This doesn't have to be your fate. Hear what God has to say to you tonight through his word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you are a Christian, we can read these warnings of judgment and have fresh appreciation for what Christ has done for us. We are not being kept for judgment. We are being kept for Jesus Christ. We will spend eternity with him in his glorious presence. That's what's reserved forever for those who are in Christ. But the main reason Jude is showing these dangers to the believers is to make sure that we are on our guard against false teaching in our churches. Part of contending for the faith means not letting false teachers in. And if they do slip in among us, then we need to get them out. That's why Jude says this in verse 17 to 19. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Jude is calling on us not to be deceived. Like these believers, we are to remember what the apostles have said. There will be people among us that do not have the spirit. There will be people who try to divide us and we need to be diligent. But we're also not to be discouraged. As we look out on the state of the church today, it's easy to be discouraged, isn't it? But we can take comfort from the fact that God is totally sovereign over his church. God knew there would be false teachers who follow their ungodly desires and divide his church in every age. That's why he inspired his apostles to write this warning down. But we can rest in the knowledge that God will not let false teaching derail his church. He's entrusted us with his word once and for all. And his word will always accomplish what God wants it to do. He's given us this letter to help us contend against false teaching and to make sure his people know to contend for the faith in every age. Just as we close tonight, and the band are going to come up now, what is the Lord impressing on your heart this evening? Maybe, maybe you've just realized that there are things you're listening to that aren't biblical or true. And tonight God is showing you just how dangerous that is. If that's you, or maybe you're not sure about some stuff, 
you've been hearing, then we'd love to point you in the right direction. Maybe some of you have spent a long time in churches that were led by false teachers, and you feel the effects of that. Maybe you feel like you've wasted years in a church that cared more about their subjective dreams and visions than it did about God's words, and you feel guilt, or you feel like it was a total waste of time. Thank God that in his grace, he is keeping you for Jesus Christ. Know that he loves you. Ask him for wisdom that with his help, you'd continue to discern what is true. And I'm sure all of us know that there are areas in our lives where we are not fully submitting to God's authority, where we preach this false gospel to ourselves and not take the Bible as seriously as we should. Let's not fall into legalism, but let's remember that we've been bought with a price and we're not our own. Let's ask God to forgive us, to help us to continue to fight off sin in our lives and to help us to contend for the faith every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning in Scripture, this call in your word to contend for the faith. Lord, would you help us to identify false teaching, to keep us away from it, and Lord, would you help us never to presume on your grace? Would you help us to examine our hearts and to live in obedience with your word, to walk every day under your authority? And we thank you for the salvation that we have, that you called us, that we are loved in God the Father, and that we are being kept for Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your great salvation. And we pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.